Welcome to the Dover Download Podcast, your weekly look at what's going on in Dover, what's going in in Dover, and all things Dover-related. My name is Chris Parker, and I'm the Deputy City Manager here in Dover, and I'm going to walk you through all of that, plus more. On the Dover Download Podcast, we explore elements both within the city and within the municipal corporation. Today, we're going to focus on a municipal corporation uh, element, and that is the hiring of a business development coordinator. Uh, This position is newer to the city's organization chart. Previously, we had operated under an economic development organization style, and now we're converting to more of a business development style. With that, I'd like to introduce James Burdeen, who is our business development coordinator. Welcome, James. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us, both on the podcast <laughs> and in general. Uh, if you want to give the listener a little background, whatever you're comfortable telling them, I would uh, refrain from your social security number or bank routing number. But, you know, other than that, sure, feel free to uh, enlighten the listener with a little bit about James. Yeah, no problem. Um, so, James Bredine, I have an undergrad in history from the University of North Carolina, Go Heels. Um, we're coming up on March, but not doing great this year. March Madness might be a little bit more depressing than usual. Uh, master's degree in city and regional planning from Ohio State University. Go Buckeyes. Uh, and, you know, when I got into planning as a profession, part of our program was to also have an internship. And I did mine with the State Economic Development Agency in Ohio. So really, my entire career, as long as I've been in this field, I've sort of been doing planning and economic development sort of hand in hand at the same time. So I think the two have a lot in common. And there are, you know, some economic development goals that play a big part of uh, planning, but there are also some sort of planning-oriented skill sets that um, come in very handy when you try to do you know, economic development or business development kind of work. My wife and I moved to Dover in 2016. Um, we were running for a little bit and then bought a house in 2017, and we've lived here ever since. During that time, I was working for Stratford Regional Planning Commission as a regional economic development and land use planner, again, you know, working on contracts, you know, related to both topics and, you know, a combination of, you know, some long range things, some immediate technical assistance kind of things. I'm really bringing sort of all of those different kinds of backgrounds to how I'm looking at this role. I appreciate the depth you had there. And it, it leads me to, uh, well, be reinforced that we hired the right person. Um, <laughs> And one of those reasons is one of the things that struck me early on in our conversations, both when you were at Stratford Regional and then since coming on uh, the municipal team, is the idea of that connectivity between planning and and development. And and I say development because we are trying to, to look at it from a community, business, economic development side of things. And I, I think you're right that the connectivity and the, the synergy back and forth between what the master plan is looking to do, uh, where our visioning takes us, and how a core component of that is how we're going to grow and develop. So from your standpoint, is it a, a word change or is there in your mind a actual substantive change between economic development and business development? 
Is it semantics or is it tangible? Uh, personally, I think it's probably a little of both. Um, yeah, I think that if you look at how the terms are used more broadly, there are very few public sector organizations, in my experience, that claim to do business development. I think that is a term that is probably used more by um, you know, private sector people who are you know, working to spin off new corporations or, or you know, develop new entities or you know, product lines or things like that out of existing businesses. The, the real difference that I think of, um, you know, I think when we talk about economic development, a lot of people's minds immediately jump to the big picture jobs reports and you know, the unemployment and you know, some of those larger facets of the economy writ large that if you think about, you know, even at a, a federal or a state level, but especially once you get down to a city like Dover, there's only so much that we can do to directly impact, you know, some of those metrics and those measures um, and, you know, move the bar on an issue like that. If you switch over to looking at, you know, how various people have defined business development, those conversations are usually a lot more about, you know, how can we open new markets or build new relationships or find, find new clients or customers. And, you know, I do think that that is a really good descriptor for what we, you know, do on a, a daily basis um, and particularly the, the change that we are able to affect as a city in terms of, you know, we do our work by building relationships with businesses by, um, you know, having those direct conversations for, okay, this may be some land that we have available or a, a building that we have available. Does this meet your needs? What needs are you trying to meet? And so we can figure out why, whether there's a good mutual fit there. I think that another way that you know, thinking about business development is a little bit on the cutting edge around here you know, if you're thinking about business development as access to markets, markets don't have municipal borders. And in my role as a regional planner, you know, I was trying to bring together regional economic development stakeholders to have, you know, some collaboration, some, you know, back and forth conversations about what are you seeing in these conditions? How do you approach this problem? How, you know, have you had to advise a business about how to deal with this issue? And I think in that regard, we are building, you know, a, a market opportunity in Seacoast, New Hampshire, in some regards for businesses to locate. Yes, in Dover, um, and yeah, I'd love to see as many of them here as we can, you know, fit and, and um, you know, work with comfortably. But also, you know, having more businesses in Portsmouth, in Summersworth, in Rochester is also great for us. You know, one of the aspects about that that I think people miss is the spinoff component. And I think Saffron is a good example of that. Years ago, when Saffron was looking at the area, we certainly said as a community, we'd love to have you in Dover. But we also recognized that if they went to a Seacoast community, odds are they were going to have suppliers and they were going to have sort of associated businesses that may or may not be located in the same space they're in. And if they're not, we can sort of capture some of that as well. And I think that we all on the Seacoast need to remember that if we didn't have peas, 
none of us would have the the level of development that we probably have. That um, whether it was the Air Force base to begin with or the um, trade port hub that it is today, the level of activity that has occurred there from a, a employment sector standpoint and the the off spinning of that that has happened. It's not just in Portsmouth, it is in Dover, Rochester, Summersworth, the, the whole Seacoast region. I think that that all plays into what you're saying of, uh, you know, the idea that a rising tide, and uh, it's good for all boats. Absolutely. A Portsmouth business, a Summersworth business, they may still be employing Dover residents who are, you know, then using that to invest in their own homes. We have seen a large number, um, actually, since the pandemic of people starting new businesses at a faster rate than pre-pandemic. And so, you know, even if it's not um, as simple as a company like Saffron wants one of their suppliers to move up next to them and we get that in Dover, um, having a large number of, you know, people with entrepreneurial drive and business experience can lead to other business opportunities. Um, you know, whether that's, you know, a new technology that gets a new corporation and starts growing itself, or somebody decides to quit their corporate job to open up a restaurant or, you know, start doing carpentry out of their garage or, you know, we want to be able to support all of those businesses and types of business business growth. Is that an opportunity for you coming from the regional side to be more direct on the municipal side? Or are you going to look to have us think more regionally? Are you going to reverse the flow? Personally, I never look to you know, try and make a, a lot of big waves as I start to move into a new project or an endeavor. So I'm still trying to learn a little bit more about you know, how we typically, um, where we typically get some of our business leads from, how we approach those, how we approach that you know, recruitment um, and you know, some of those sales pitch kind of things. So I think it might be a little bit too early to make broad pronouncements, but I think you know, sort of a combination of the two, you definitely need to have your finger on the regional pulse and understand, okay, what's happening to Boston? Um, because things that happen to Boston can have, you know, impact the entire greater uh, Boston metro area and the markets, you know, across multiple states. What kinds of things are happening in, you know, Portsmouth, Exeter, you know, a lot of those other seacoast communities? You know, there may be trends that are sort of spreading geographically. There may be, you know, trends that may change as a result of particular technologies that start coming up everywhere. There may be nationwide changes to demand, you know, for example, changes to remote work and, you know, demand for office space is something that uh, is very forefront in our minds at the moment after Liberty Mutual's announcement. But that is something that municipalities nationwide right. are trying to prepare for right now. Right. We might, we, we might be in the midst of that because of that very visible mm -hmm. changeover, but it's a changeover that's been occurring beyond the pandemic. And mm -hmm. the pandemic helped it encourage it more or at least bring it more to light. But there are plenty of people I know that have been working remotely or in a more remote-like or hybrid setting for a while. A friend of mine has worked, he, he was lucky in the pandemic. He went from working for a company in, in Italy to a company in uh, Memphis, 
and he's never left his house in Massachusetts. Um, mm-hmm. So the, uh, I think you're right. It, it's, it's visible because Liberty Mutual is certainly a very visible component of our community. But I also think in that regard, we should be glad that while they are no longer going to be operating out of their location, there were no job cuts as a result of that. It, it could have been a, we're going to move everyone to Plano, Texas, or St. Louis, Missouri, or name your other community where those jobs might have been actually lost. And it'll be curious in that regard. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out as things become more remote. If a business or an entity decides to relocate, does it actually impact anything? Mm. Or is it just sort of we're headquartered out of this location, but you can work wherever you want to work? Yeah, absolutely. And I think actually in New Hampshire, we're probably insulated from that a little bit more where we have no statewide or local income tax. It doesn't actually matter in the same way where that person is technically employed. Right. You know, if they are still employed, they can you know, continue to you know earn their wages and their living, and you know still be members of the community in exactly the same way that they were before the office moved. From the municipal sort of corporation standpoint, that doesn't cost us immediate revenue in the same way that you know that person being employed somewhere else might, um, because the property is still there, it still has the buildings on it. And there's a lot of opportunity for reuse in one form or another out on the yep. site. I, I actually think it's a kind of an exciting thing. I don't look at it as a sad thing. I look at it as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. We, can, we can revision that uh, space with the property owner and, and see where their vision is. As we wrap up here, uh, and it, I suspect this is the first of many conversations we'll be having, uh, I'd like to uh, pivot a little. We ask each guest, at least on their first visit, to identify a couple things that they think about the community, uh, whether it's a historic aspect, whether it's an event, whether it's a person, place, or thing, that you think makes Dover unique, what what helps it be Dover in that regard. So there are two or three things that, that you want to rattle off uh, as we close out here. That'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, first of all, from the second that we moved here, um, we absolutely loved, you know, the downtown and, you know, the the vibrancy of the community, all of the things that there were to do. And when we were looking for a home, you know, our criteria were it needed to be within walking distance. Um, and that's something that I hear a lot of other people say about what brings them to Dover, why they want to stay here. You know, it's a place that you can be out and active, you know, in everything that you're doing. Yes, dining out, you know, retail kind of things, but also just, you know, getting groceries, getting, you know, going to a hardware store, having a functional downtown like that is really special. And you know, I was thinking about it the other day because I grew up in a city of 25,000 people in Illinois with a river running right down the middle of it. But there's something about, you know, I think it's sort of a combination of being a much older community, you know, 1600s versus early 1800s, but also just our topography and how dense things sort of got fit in um, in our development past that you know, I look at those two communities today and Dover is considerably denser and has a lot more going on. Um, Yeah. And I think the downtown businesses are thriving a lot better as a result of all of that. Yeah. I've also, 
I've been on the planning board um, in my time here. I've been on the zoning board. So I've been sort of civically engaged and I've always been impressed by this sort of very productive um, and positive civic culture that Dover has. You know, to your point of seeing, um, you know, a, a change at the Liberty Mutual property as an opportunity to figure out what's next for us as a community and what's next for that site. You know, I've seen that sort of optimistic problem solving in all kinds of different aspects of this community since we moved here. And I think that's really special. Great. Well, I appreciate you coming up with those three things and with you participating in the podcast today. Hope you have a great day and we'll talk soon. That sounds great. Thanks, Chris. With almost 400 years of history, Dover's got a lot to tell. Up next, Mike Gillis is going to walk us through what happened this week. This week in 1947, Dover High School announced its next seven varsity meets for the school's fishing team. The fishing team was the only one of its kind in the country at the time. Team practice was a little different than Dover High's other sports. To improve, they would fish at nearby brooks, streams, and lakes, as well as at saltwater locations along the coasts of New Hampshire and Maine. With no other schools to compete against, at least then, team members received awards of merit from their coach, Bernie Smith. A total of 25 students had participated in the winter program that year, a sizable number that included students from some of the other school teams. For the upcoming spring program that year, the schedule would bring the team to Gilmanton for smelt fishing, Wolfboro for smelt fishing, Brookfield and New Durham for brook trout, the Isles of Shoals for cod and haddock, York Harbor for flounder, and Willie Camp at Crawford Notch for brook trout. Coach Smith said he expected the brook trout meets to be the toughest. Bernie Smith had first floated the idea for a team in 1945 and took a handful of students out fishing to test the waters. By the next year, in 1946, the Dover High School fishing team was officially formed, the first of its kind anywhere in the country. And the idea did catch on. In 1947, not long after the spring meets were posted, other area schools started their own fishing teams. One newspaper wondered what the team might say when they lost, suggesting, quote, Man, we lost by a pickerel. When the team was first formed in 1946, the Boston Globe sent a reporter to tag along. He noted the team only required minimal equipment, a bob, a stick, and a line. He added that the team's best catches to that point were a three-pound trout and a four-pound cusk. Dover High School's fishing team did eventually disband. We turned to some of the experts in Dover sports, including high school athletic director Peter Watton and Ernie Clark, but no one can be sure when the team finally sank. Clark pointed out that the team was still competing in 1956, the same year they boasted catching the largest fish in the state. The Dover High School yearbooks from the 1950s indicate that decade was among the busiest for the team, which by that time also included girls, who, at least according to one team summary, often enjoyed it more than the boys. We found only one mention of the fishing team in the 1960s. In 1962, a single student, Ronald Patrick Zoller, listed the fishing team as one of his activities. We wonder if Ronald, who was known to his friends as Pat, fulfilled his yearbook ambition to become a member of the Royal Canadian Pipe Band. Today, high school and college fishing teams can be found all over the country, something they can thank Dover for propelling forward. Thanks for listening to the Dover Download this week. If you like what you heard, subscribe through your favorite podcast aggregator. And if you have something you want to hear a topic on, let us know. Finally, 
This is just one of the many ways we share information about the city of Dover. You can subscribe to the Dover Downloads email newsletter every week or other newsletters that we have by going to the City of Dover homepage, www.dover.nh.gov. Have a great week.